If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. We'll be starting a little three-part Christmas series uh, this week, looking at Christmas and the relationships of Christmas. And so this is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Folks, listen, this is God's Word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. So as we start this series, this three-part series on Christmas, we're going to do this for both learning and preparation. Okay, learning and preparation. It's so that we can understand Christmas. Christmas is one of these things that is so easy to think that you've got it. It's so easy to think you don't need to hear anything else about it. And yet, we're going to find out today in the next couple of weeks that boy, there are times where I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of what Christmas actually is. And as we do this, it's going to help us prepare. It's going to help us prepare to experience God this Christmas season. I'm really excited because this text has things that have just literally blown my mind. I mean, I've read them hundreds of times before. I've heard them preached before. And yet, again, you're just going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed because there are details. When you actually stop and read the text, you know, rather than just hearing the stories of Christmas, when you stop and actually read what the texts say, um, there are details in the stories that are missed in most of the tellings of them. So you're going you're gonna to be amazed. And, and so whether you're a Christian or not, we're going to see over the next three weeks how Christmas should affect our relationships. Okay, it's how it should affect our relationships. Today, we're going to look specifically at how Christmas impacts our relationship with Jesus. Okay, and we're going to see that in three points. So if you want to take notes, um, here are the three points. We're going to see the promise of Christmas, the power of Christmas, and the proof of Christmas. Okay, the promise, the power, and the proof of Christmas. And so first, the promise of Christmas. This is verses 26 to 33, that first big paragraph. 
Um, we see here that an angel, the angel Gabriel, was sent from God to Mary. Right? We see that in verse 26. And it's interesting because you don't normally read, even when you read the Bible, you don't normally read about angels. They do show up here and there. Um, but in this place, um, Gabriel, the angel, appears. He's sent from God to Nazareth to meet Mary. Um, Gabriel appears both here in Luke in chapter 1. He also appears in the Old Testament book of Daniel. And so that's interesting because there's parallels there that we are not going to have time to get into. Um, But what we see here is that the function of this angel, Gabriel, was that he was a messenger. Okay, verse 26, he was sent from God to deliver news from heaven. Okay, and so he's coming with news. And he comes to Mary who lives in Nazareth and he says in verse 28, He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And what's Mary's response? She freaks out. She kind of panics. Verse 29, she was greatly troubled. It's kind of an interesting response. She was trying, verse 28 it says, she was trying to discern, verse 29, discern what sort of greeting this might be. What exactly does this mean? And I think in this reaction of Mary, we might be able to identify with her a little bit. I mean, just kind of ask yourself, how would you feel, right, if an angel were suddenly to appear and greet you? Right? Angelic activity was not common during this time prior to this. So not too different from here. An angel just shows up. You're living your life. Nazareth was this backwater town. Nothing special, nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. And here's Mary. All of a sudden, there's an angel standing before her. Hey, Mary, how you doing? Favored one. The Lord is with you. I think some people get kind of troubled in the same way when they hear what Christians think about Christmas. Right? I mean, everybody kind of knows that Christmas has to do with Jesus, But again, when you get into the details here, you have this angel who appears. There's a virgin woman who's going to be impregnated miraculously. It makes people feel uncomfortable, right? Most non-Christians, when they kind of get into this stuff, they sort of go, oh, that's where you Christians sort of go off on your own and sort of do this weird thing. I'm just going to leave you now, right? I mean, that makes people feel troubled. Um, I think another way that we identify with this, and this is for Christians and non Maybe you get troubled at what you think God might want to do in your life. Right? Think about that. What does God want to do in your life? Maybe you have a sense that God wants to do something in your life and it scares you a little bit. I know for me, as I was in the process of becoming a Christian, I was scared. I was troubled because I didn't know what God was going to want from me. How am I supposed to know? What does it mean to follow God? Is God going to call me on the phone and tell me what to do? Is he going to write me a letter? I remember asking that question to a pastor way back when I, when I first started exploring Christianity. And so I was troubled. And, you know, and I think if you've ever felt that way, like, what is God actually going to want from me? You might be approaching a little bit of, you know, of a small estimation of how Mary felt. And so the angel then says to her, he gives her the promise of Christmas. Right here we see the promise. Angel says first, verse 30, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This word favor is the word grace. 
It's the word grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. And it's actually grace that drives away our fear. The angel says, Mary, you don't have to be afraid because you have the grace of God. God is blessing you. Everything with God starts with grace. And then he goes on in verses 31 to 33. He says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus and he's going to be great. What Gabriel is saying in these verses is that Jesus will be king. Okay, he says it in three or four different ways. He says in verse 31, uh, I'm sorry, verse 32, he will be called the son of the most high. Okay, in the Old Testament, the son of the most high is a way to describe the king. In Psalm 2-7, in 2 Samuel 7-14, God calls the king of Israel his son. Okay, so this is saying you're going to have a son and he's going to be king. Right, and we see that. Um, the rest of verse 32, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Right, he's going to reign on David's throne. And then verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so the angel is giving Mary promises. He's telling her what the son is going to be and he's saying that Jesus will be king of Israel. Now this was good news for Mary. This was huge news for Mary because Israel during this time was in a world of hurt. Okay, to be in Israel back then was to, to, to be in bondage and oppression and in suffering. Okay, they were under Roman occupation. They were part of the Roman Empire and they were being oppressed. So their homeland had been invaded by foreign, by, by, it had military and political rulers from Rome. Um, the economy was bad. There was incredibly heavy taxation. And Israel was enduring, spiritually speaking, they were enduring persecution, right? There was this constant pressure to adopt the religion of the Romans, okay? They could not worship freely. And, and spiritually speaking, again, the nation as a whole was far away from God. They were a long way from God. Now, Israel had these promises. There were folks who, had, who, who were holding on to those promises. In the Old Testament, it gives these promises that God understands the condition of his people and he's going to come, right? That God is going to send a Messiah. That Messiah would be a king who would come and bring salvation. Salvation, not just in a spiritual heart sense, but that this Messiah would come and bring rescue from oppression, abundance of life. The Messiah would establish justice and mercy in the land. The Messiah would defeat evil, would judge Israel's enemies, would defeat its enemies, and then bring the nation back to God. There were all of these promises. You can read the book of Isaiah from chapter 40 to verse, or to chapter 55. You kind of have this, this sweeping testimony of what God is going to do. Um, when the Messiah comes. And Gabriel is saying here that Mary is going to give birth to the Messiah. The language that Gabriel uses is right out of the hope and the prayers of Israel. The angel was saying, Mary, your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, your prayers are about to be answered. Jesus will bring the fulfillment of God's promises. 
And this is why I love, like one of my favorite Christmas songs is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Right? Because just in two lines, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. That's it. That's it. And this is what Christmas is. It's God fulfilling his promises. It's God sending a king. It's God sending a ruler who will bring about the destruction of what's wrong. He will fix what's wrong and bring healing and power and restoration. That's what Christmas is. It was, that's what Christmas was for Mary, and that's what Christmas is today for you. Because the promise still stands. God's promise still stands. Where are you struggling? What are you struggling with in your life? Jesus came to reign as king, and he is reigning as king. Jesus brings God's promises to us, promises of deliverance, promises of freedom, of love and mercy, of grace and growth. Folks, don't fear. Don't be afraid because you have found favor with God. God is here today telling you that through Jesus, he will bring about the fulfillment of his promises if you'll trust in him. The promise of Christmas to Mary is as true today as it was back then. I mean, we could even say it's more true. And so Christmas impacts your relationship with Jesus because he is the one who promises to work in your life. He's the one who will work and bring healing and restoration. He's the one who will give you power and strength, love and grace, purpose, courage, um, and, and a vision for what God is doing in your life. So now, if you're hearing this, if you're listening, and let's just say maybe you would love for this to be true, right? You're listening and you're thinking, all right, well, that sounds great, right? I, I really wish this could be true, but you don't know how it could be true, right? You understand what? Okay, this is the promise, but how, right? How exactly could this be knowing my life? If that's where you are, that's exactly the reaction that Mary had to this announcement. Okay, that's exactly Mary's reaction. And so this brings us to our second point, and that's the power of Christmas, We saw the promise of Christmas. Secondly, the power of Christmas. This is verses 34 to 35. This is what Mary says. Verse 34, look at it. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? Isn't that good? All these promises, all this stuff's going to happen. How? How? I think at this point that Mary's response shows that she thinks that the angel is saying that she's going to have a human child who will grow up to be the king of Israel. Okay? So I think what Mary thinks at this point is that the angel is saying, you're going to conceive a child and it's going to be a human king who will be the Messiah who will come and bring all the promises. 
Um, I think that if she understood that the child that she was supposed to conceive would be God, my sense is that she'd have a little bit of a different reaction than simply saying that she hadn't had sex yet. Does that make sense? Like if she had understood that, that the angel was saying, not just man, but God and man in your womb, I think she would have had a different reaction. Okay? Um, but her response, I think, is really helpful for us. Because what does she say? She says, how will this be considering my situation? I think when she says, how will this be? It shows faith and hope. Okay? Because she doesn't say, how can this be? Okay? She doesn't say, how can this be? I think that's what Zechariah says. Well, it's different. I'm sorry. Um, but she says, how can or how will this be? Um, that would express doubt. What she says is, how will this be? And again, I think that's the question that most of us are asking. How will these promises come true for me? How will I experience freedom? How will uh, Jesus make a difference in my life? How will I become a better spouse, employee, employer, parent, right? How will I be a better friend? How, how is it possible that I could experience the love of God and his peace in my life, right? Lord, how will it be? And the angel Gabriel tells her, tells us, verse 35. He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, I think that there is an image here that's being evoked by the angel. In the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1 verse 2, it says that when God was creating, it says there was darkness and void and the waters were covering the surface of the deep. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Creation began with the Spirit of God hovering, hovering, hovering. And as that spirit hovered, it then brought about the power of God to bring light and life, color, and, and, and it brought the universe into being. From the chaos, from the darkness, from the void, the spirit of God brought life and light and order into existence. I think that the angel is saying, that same spirit is going to hover over you, Mary. That same spirit is going to be hovering over you and he will bring to you this new life. It's like what the angel's saying. It's the power of the creator is going to do a new creation. He's going to bring about a new creation, Mary, in your life. How can this be? Mary, you're right. It would be impossible. And yet God will do the impossible and he will give you life. This is how it works in us too. Okay, this is how it works in your life. This is how you can experience the promise of Christmas. The same spirit that came upon Mary and put Jesus in her womb 
that same spirit comes upon us when we believe in Jesus and brings the power of Jesus into our hearts. Okay? So the spirit of God puts the life of Jesus into Mary's womb. The spirit of God puts the love and the character and the spirit of Jesus himself into your heart. Jesus himself said this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Same phrase. Same phrase. Mary experiences the power of Christmas. We can experience the power of Christmas because when you believe in Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit comes over you and the power of God himself fills you, enabling you to do what is impossible in your life. Okay, now, if you are not experiencing this power, right, because that's the struggle. Look, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I don't see the power. Where's the power? Why am I still struggling? You need to press into the Holy Spirit. You need to experience and be filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? Pretty typically, it's through the Word of God and through prayer. I mean, this is why it's such a big deal to read the Bible. Because as you read it, you find in here, I mean, we just sang about it, right? We find that our life and our salvation is in you, right? By your grace, I'll live. By your grace, I'll see for my life and my salvation is in you. Well, how do you know what that is? You find out here. And then you go to the Lord and pray about it. Lord, I can't believe I read this. Is this true? I don't experience this all the time. I mean, today, even when we were worshiping, as we were singing, I was feeling the Spirit of God well up in my heart. As I sang the truths of the gospel, this good news that Jesus is alive. He's not just alive up there, but he's alive in me. We need to press into the Holy Spirit and the impossible will begin to come true more and more uh, in your life. Well, the angel goes on. At the, the last part of verse 35, he says, Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And here, I think what we see is that this child is going to be more than just a man. Because... Um, it's not that Mary is going to conceive with Joseph and give birth to a son who will become a king, but the Holy Spirit comes upon. The Spirit of God will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I mean, the idea there is that God is taking Mary under his wing and he is going to bring this child. He's going to conceive this child in her womb. And so in a different way than the kings were called sons of God. This will be the son of God. This will be the only begotten son of God. This will be God in the flesh. God in the flesh. How do you... (laughs) When you hear that, what do you think of? 
I mean, Christians and non, this is, this is hard for all of us to just get our mind around God in the flesh. feel like at this point we have to ask the question that's asked by so many and that is was this story made up right there are a lot of critics a lot of scholars who would say that that in order to legitimize jesus in order to make him uh, more impressive to the culture of the day that the early church made this story up about jesus They made this up so that Jesus could have this amazing miraculous birth story that would add to all the rest of the stuff. So it was to make him more appealing to people in the first century. How do you answer that? God cannot lie. Okay, God can't lie. All right, that's that's one good way to answer it. Yeah, so we have the text here, but then, well, what if the text was made up, right? How would you answer that question? Push it through. Here's something that's interesting. Luke was writing to Gentiles, okay? Luke was writing to the non-Jewish world of his day, okay? We know that from the beginning of Luke's gospel. He writes to a guy named Theophilus, which is a Greek name. So he's writing to a Greek, presumably for the Greeks, the Gentiles, so the non-Jews in the world. This is important because there was variation in the different religions of the Gentiles in the Roman world and the Greek world, but there was one thing that all of the Greek religions had in common, okay? And that was that they thought that this physical world is evil, okay? That for them, spirit was good, but matter, material things, were bad. Okay? Um, The chief goal in life was actually to get freed from the flesh. Was to get, to, to depart from your body. To get out of your body. To set your spirit free. You know, one of the, of the religious writers back then said, to have a body is to be in jail. Okay? This is the pervasive thinking in the religions of the day, in the non-Jewish world, okay? And the gods are gods primarily because they don't have flesh. They are spirit. And so the idea is, like, growth and spirituality, it's all about getting freed from the flesh so you can become one with the spirit that is God. Okay? So, if you were trying to appeal to that group, right? If you were trying to make your claims of your guy more appealing, this is the last thing that you would do. The last thing you would do is make up a story of God going backwards and becoming flesh. Does that make sense? So if the point of this was, oh, we got to make this up so that it becomes, so Jesus is more palatable, This makes Jesus totally unpalatable to the folks who are reading this, right? The early church didn't make this up. It was actually an embarrassment in front of the non-believing world, okay? As embarrassed as you may feel sometimes in talking to people about things like the virgin birth, things like God coming in the flesh and how big a difference that makes in your life, as embarrassed as you feel, that's how they would have felt because they would have looked at them and said, 
I don't want that God. Are you crazy? God came in the flesh? Like, are you kidding? Like, what kind of crazy mixed up thing is that? Everybody knows that that's backwards. And so the reason this story is in the gospel is because it happened. It happened, and they had to bear the embarrassment of telling the story, right, with a world that would have ridiculed them, okay? Scholars actually call this the criteria of embarrassment, and it's one of the things that they say would lend itself to being more true than not. If it embarrassed the early church and it's still in the text of Scripture, then it probably happened, is what scholars will say, okay? And so it's kind of interesting. But um, plus, Mary was still around back when this was written, and you could have gone and asked her about it too. So there's the eyewitness piece of this. Um, One author said this, and this is one of these things. I'm going to read this to you. Think about this, okay? This isn't accusatorial, at least the way I'm giving it, but I want you to think about this. Dealing with kind of the reasons why people may discredit this story Um, this one author said, perhaps some of the fuss and bother about whether Mary could have conceived Jesus without a human father is because deep down, we don't want to think that there might be a king who could claim this kind of absolute allegiance. If you can write off a story like this and just say, well, I don't think that ever happened, then you don't need to deal with Jesus. Right? His authority doesn't bear on your life. But if you recognize that there were people who told the story in the face of embarrassment because they wanted to tell the truth, and if you recognize that the folks who first told the story end up dying because they told this story, it makes you think it might be true. It makes you think if it might be true, then... Well, so what am I going to do with this son who was God in the flesh? The power of Christmas is that God came to earth. And he continues to come to us today when we believe in him. Wow, what a good question. Yeah, if God was in the flesh, who was in heaven? Um, the Bible says that there is one God, and this one God has revealed himself in three different ways. It's all one God, and yet we see God as Father in Scripture. We also see God comes as the Son, and we see God manifest himself as the Holy Spirit. And we need all three of these things, because we need a loving authority over us, right? We need a perfect Father. But we need more than that because what do we do when we disobey the authority of the Father, right? What do we do when we run away from the Father? What we need is we need a brother to come and stand beside us and bring us back. More than that, we need a brother who can come and stand in front of us, who can perfectly represent us and bring us back to the Father. And that's what Jesus does in his death and his resurrection. But then we even need more than that because just having... God's forgiveness doesn't change us. We actually need God to come inside of us to empower us so that we can grow, so that we can be like Jesus. And God manifests himself as Father, Son, and Spirit so that 
we can, it's, it's because that's exactly what we need. So we can talk more about it afterwards if you'd like. Um, and that's the power of Christmas, is that God has come manifesting himself in the flesh because it's what we needed. It's what we needed. So that's the power of Christmas. Our third point is the proof of Christmas. The proof of Christmas. Verses 36 into all the way to 38. The angel actually offers proof, right? In verses 36 and 37. It gives her these amazing promises. Tells her how it's going to happen. Gives her, you know, shows her where the power is going to come from to bring this about. And then he gives her proof. He says basically, Mary... If you want proof, I have some other news for you. Your cousin, Elizabeth. Your older cousin. Your cousin who is described as advanced in years. Back in chapter 1, verse 7. Um, even the Bible was kind of like discreet about ages of women, which is kind of interesting. You know, she was advanced in years. And she was barren. She was barren. She was unable to have children. She had tried her entire life, and she was way past child-rearing age, child-bearing age. The angel says, Elizabeth is now in her sixth month. She is pregnant and has been pregnant. She's past her first trimester, so she's not going to lose the baby, right? She's past that first trimester. She's six months down the road. God can do the impossible, Mary. God can do the impossible. If you wonder if this is going to happen for you, the impossible is happening for your cousin Elizabeth. You can ask her yourself. It's really cute because the very next verse after our passage, Mary hightails it to Elizabeth. It's what she does. She goes running over there. Oh, I can't believe it. You didn't tell me. You're six months. This is crazy. Well, we're actually going to look at that next week. We're going to look at that next week. So, the angel, this is kind of neat. The angel gives her proof. And to me, this reminds me of our world today. Because again, for us, people need proof, right? People need proof. People need to see that Christmas can be real, right? It's one thing for you to share the good news that at Christmas time, God came in the flesh. God came to earth to reign, to be the king, to fix what's wrong with the world, to bring healing, to save us. Right? God did that. And he does that now. We, we experience that as his spirit comes upon us. But people need proof. Right? What's the proof today? Think about that. What's the proof today? So that folks can see that Christmas is real. That Christmas actually works. There is a real power and that it applies to their lives. What's the proof today? You are. You are the proof that Christmas and its, pro- its promises and its power continue to come true today. It's the Spirit working in your life. It's you showing that God is making a difference, that God has come to earth in you. It's you living in a way where your attitude has been changed, where you've been set free from bitterness, from selfishness, from anger, or you're dealing with your struggles in a totally different grace-filled way. 
right? It's your hope and it's your experience of God's spirit that is the best proof for people who need it. Think about John chapter 9 where they cornered this poor guy, the religious leaders, and they grabbed a hold of him and they said, give glory to God. We know Jesus isn't true. We know he's not the Messiah. And they're shaking and they're trying to get him to deny Jesus. And what's his answer? He says, well, look, um, look, you guys are talking about a lot of things. Whether he's this, that, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. His personal testimony his personal experience of Jesus was the irrefutable proof that he offered. And they got frustrated, like, oh, we don't know what to do with you, and they kicked him out. That's what happens. I mean, and usually our relationships are not at that place. But when you have the privilege and the responsibility of being proof that Christmas is more than just trees and gifts, more than just friends and family, more than, right? I mean, it's more than that. It is that God has come to earth and your life is a demonstration of the power of his spirit alive in the world today. Boy, that's a burden, isn't it? I mean, that's exciting to me. I try to think, all right, well, so what can I do to show love to people? What can I do to try in some way to live in a way that would help me say, you know what, I'm doing this because Jesus has done so much for me, right? And if that's a burden, the answer is to just press into the power, okay? Because this can't come from you alone. This can't come from you. This has to come through God's Spirit. The power of Christmas is the Spirit coming on you. It's you experiencing the Spirit of God. And you press into that through His Word, through prayer, through community, through the relationships within the family, the church. Right? This is why community groups are such a big deal. People come to these community groups and they leave inspired, they leave uplifted, they leave supported, they leave understood, right? That's the power that goes on in these community groups. A lot of times these folks gather together and if you could see from an airplane, that you could see the spirit descending upon these houses, right? Filling these people and they leave and they're excited because they've loved each other and they've experienced God's spirit. Boy, that's, that's why we push community groups like we do. And so that's, that's the proof. I mean, I would ask, if you don't feel like you are, well, let me, let me address you. If you're not a Christian here yet, who do you know that is a Christian? Right? Do you see God's spirit at work in their life? Do you see the way that they handle life's difficulties? Do you see the spirit that they have, the attitude that they have? Right? What you see that's attractive in them, that's the power of God at work in their life. And I don't say that to try to lift them up and create a distinction between them and you unnecessarily. But the point is that what you see in them can be true for you. Right? You can experience the same spirit in your life. Mary's response to all this is just wonderful. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
let it be to me according to your word. Mary went from fear to wonder to trust. From freaked out to bewildered to willing. At this point, she didn't know where it would lead, but she was willing to trust the God who can do the impossible. How about you? For Christians and non-Christians, can you say this to the Lord? Behold, Lord, I am your servant. Lead me wherever you will, lead me wherever's best. Mary invites us into this kind of a relationship with Jesus. If you can say this to the Lord and mean it in your heart, boy, there's huge freedom that comes with that. Because then there's nothing in between you and Him. No reservations. If you have doubts, we can deal with those. Having doubts, though, I mean, I'm sure Mary was filled with doubts and uncertainty, so those things shouldn't keep you away. But they actually should drive you to the only one that you can trust with everything. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that as we read about your first coming, we can remind ourselves and we can even experience that you continue to come into our lives today. Thank you that the spirit that came over Mary also comes over us. Help us to experience that spirit. Jesus, would you comfort folks that are struggling today? Would you send your spirit over us afresh in a deep and abiding way so that we can experience your power? Jesus, we need you so much. And I want to say on behalf of all of us, and I would invite you to pray this with me to Jesus. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Father, we trust you and we give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.